You are now listening to the London International Christian Church Podcast. Title of today's message is Faith That Moves Mountains. I pray tonight's message will change you as much as it has changed me as I have studied it out. In Matthew 21, verse 18, it says, Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, May you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. You know what? First glance, this is a really strange story. Jesus goes up to a tree. He's hungry. The tree doesn't give him fruit. Seems like he gets ticked off and goes, I've had enough of you. Die. And yet knowing Jesus and the fact that he never sinned and that he was always with his disciples trying to teach them a story, we've got to ask ourselves to go a little bit deeper. What was the meaning of Jesus' actions? It was very common for prophets to use a symbolic action to demonstrate their message to the people around them. As in a visual parable. This was one of those examples. The fig tree here represented Israel. The fig tree was the favorite tree in all those times. The picture of Israel's existence in the promised land was a picture that actually included this fig tree. You know, Deuteronomy 8, 8, it says, The promised land is a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. Pomegranates and figs were actually taken by the spies and brought back to Israel to show them what a great fertile land this was. The picture of peace and prosperity, which is common throughout the Old Testament, is a picture of every man sitting under his own individual fig tree and vine. 1 Kings 4.25, Micah 4.4, Zechariah 3.10. And even when, in the book of John, Jesus calls Nathaniel, he says, I saw you sitting underneath the fig tree. A fig tree was a place where every man would have his own fig tree to go and have his quiet times underneath it. And he goes, I knew you were spiritual. I saw you when you were underneath the fig tree. The fig tree, it's a beautiful tree. It has to be about three feet thick in its trunk. It grows to a height of 15 to 20 feet. We have similar fig trees to this in Australia. It's, it's a spread, its branches can go to 25 to 30 feet. 
This was a picture that represented the kingdom of Israel, a healthy tree spreading its branches out with its pleasant fruit to all the nations. This was not a first time that God and his prophets had used a withering fig tree to represent the spiritual health or lack of spiritual health of Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12, It says, are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. And they do not even know how to blush. So they will fall amongst the fallen. They will be brought down when they are punished, says the Lord. I will take away their harvest, declares the Lord. There will be no grapes on the vine. There will be no figs on the tree. And their leaves will wither. What I have given them will be taken from them. A healthy fig tree represented the spiritual health. And yet when Jesus went up to this fig tree, it's a strange story. Because he goes up to a fig tree that has leaves on it. And the time he went up to it was in April. And we know this because he was on his way to the Passover that took place on April the 15th. And yet it wasn't the season for fig trees. So the fig tree had, had leaves on it. But this was out of season. And the corresponding passage in Mark 11, verse 12, it says, The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. This was a teaching exercise. From a distance, the tree promised fruit. But as soon as he walked up to him, he was like, well, why has this got, tree got, got leaves? He went up to see if there was any fruit. There was no fruit. The only reason a tree, a fig tree, would have leaves but no fruit is because either one, it was diseased and sick, dying from the inside out, or it had become wild and reverted back to its wild state. So it was unkept, unchecked, or as we might say, undiscipled. By Jesus killing the tree, it was a symbolic action to teach the disciples about the Jewish nation's impending spiritual destruction. And we also see this as his theme, because as we read on in the passage in Mark 11, it goes on in verse 15, because it was on his way to Jerusalem when he cursed the fig tree. Mark 11:15 15, it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple court and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. I would not allow anyone to carry merchandise throughout the temple courts. As he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. The place that should have been full of people praying for the nations was turned into a marketplace. You know, when God's people become unfruitful and useless, they invite disaster from God. 
The people of Israel have been brought into existence, not because they were great, because they were the smallest of all the nations, for one purpose only, to bring salvation to the world through glorifying God and teaching others how to love God. In rejecting the prophets and killing Jesus, they would become useless to God and so he would destroy them. It also taught that profession without practice is condemned. The fig tree promised fruit, talked about fruit, looked like it was going to produce fruit. But on closer inspection, there was no fruit. To look like a Christian and yet not really bear fruit is considered terrible in the eyes of God. In Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Bookmark these. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. God wants us to have nothing to do with trees that bear no fruit. So how do we move from this to then faith that moves mountains? Here we have faith that withers trees. And we'll talk about that. But then how is it this, what is this faith that moves mountains? You see, the disciples were amazed. How, how did you wither a tree? But Jesus was going, that's nothing. Withering a tree is nothing. He said, you'll be able to move mountains. What did he mean by that? Well, in as much as Jesus was talking about withering a complete nation, Israel, he then turns to his disciples, and we know that in the Old Testament, especially when we study the kingdom study, that mountains represent kingdoms, nations. He said, you've got to understand, in my lifetime, I'm going to wither this nation. But in your lifetime, you are going to move all nations. We get amazed at the withering of the tree. He says, you've got to open your minds. You've got to let them go. Boom. We're going to change the world. I've read so many commentaries on this. I really try to get my head around it. And I really understand why so many people write so many different things about this. What does it mean to move mountains? And because people that write commentaries don't have the faith to change the world, they would never write that this meant to change the world. Because they don't have the faith to move mountains. Because of the actions of the disciples, if you know anything about history, the actions and the prayers of true disciples have literally changed the destinies of nations upon nations. Yeah. 
You know, their vision was so small. That is the problem with us human beings. Our vision is so small. Why do we get so much criticism? Because we actually believe we're going to change the world. And that scares the living bejeebers out of everybody. Including us. Including us. We don't believe in community churches. And if you do, it twists the way you read the Bible. We don't believe in saving our nation. Because if you do, it twists how you read the Bible. We believe God called us to change every nation. And only when you get that dream does the Bible start to truly make sense. I have two points today. Point number one is how to have tree-withering faith. And point number two is how to have mountain-moving faith. Point number one, tree-withering faith. Jesus knew his mission. His mission was to start the fall of the Israel of nation. Sorry, I'm dyslexic. The nation of Israel. He was focused, driven. He knew his mission. And he was never distracted. In Matthew 21, 21, go back to the original scripture. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree. The faith that Jesus is talking about here in reference to the fig tree is faith that enables you to do things. It says, not only can you do, this is opposed to, when we talk about the mountain moving, he talks about saying. What do you see happening in your life? Do you want to do things with your life? Yes. Really? Yes. Then why haven't you already done them? You can tell if a personally, if a person, what a person really wants, not by asking them, but by asking everybody around them. You ask their spouse, their Bible talk, and you go, what are the three most important things to that person? And if they don't know them, you don't know them. Out of the overflow of the heart, our mouth speaks. The number one issue with most people is that they do not know what they really want to do. They say a lot of things, but pursue very little. What is faith? Turn your Bibles to Hebrews 11, verse 1. You know, faith is not just a Christian thing. The concept of faith, you can have faith. What actually is faith? Very, very simple. Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You know, 
I appreciate Jason's message earlier. He said, do you feel called by God? Great. What do you feel called by God to do? That's the issue. Are you even sure you want to achieve it? If you aim at nothing, you get nothing. You can tell a man or a woman of faith because their actions match their mouth. Everybody knew what Jesus' purpose was. He was talking about it publicly. Everybody knew about it. It ticked them off. He was upsetting people. Nobody was confused about what Jesus wanted to do in life. Nobody. That's why they killed him. But in Luke 9.51, what was Jesus' attitude? It says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That's put really nicely. As Jesus set out to be brutally murdered, flogged, and crucified, he was resolute. One of the worst things any human being can try and do is live another man's dream for their life. The second thing is to not have a dream. What gave Jesus the power to do, to achieve what others saw as impossible? Not the withering fig tree, but the downfall of the nation of Israel. For somebody to stand up and say, my actions are going to bring down this nation. That's an amazing claim. That's an amazing claim. It was because he chose to be the instrument for God to be used for that singular purpose. Tree-withering faith is about a decision. You know, I'll tell you the story of Jesus. It says, God the Father and Jesus were looking down at the world. They saw all the suffering, loneliness, and pain. They saw all the people. They saw you and me. And Jesus said, Father, how can we help them? I love them. What can I do? God said, Son, you don't understand. They're not like us. But Jesus said, Father, I'll do anything for them as long as you are with me. God said, Son, you don't understand. The only way to help them is if they go down on the earth yourself. We'll have to live like a man, eat like a man, get dirty and tired and sick like a man. Jesus said, Father, I love them. I'll do anything as long as you are with me. God said, son, you don't understand. These people will laugh at you, reject you. Your own family will think you are crazy. Your followers will desert you in the end, and you'll be all alone. And Jesus said, Father, I'll do it as long as you are with me. God said, son, you don't understand. The people will falsely accuse you. They'll beat you and spit on you and flog you. They'll nail your bleeding and naked body to the cross. And you will die painfully like a criminal. Jesus said, Father, I love them. I'll do anything as long as you are with me. But God said, son, you don't understand. As you hang on the cross in agony, you will bear the sins of the world. You will feel their guilt, their shame, their pain. And their sins will separate you from me. In your greatest hour of need, I will not be with you. And Jesus said, Father, now I understand. I will go. What is on your list for your lifetime? Your list. Not mine. Not your leader's. What is your focus day and night? What is your prayer filled with? What are you begging God for? 
If you do not know the purpose in your life, like the nation of Israel, you will wither. And you will be consumed with self-justification. Our former movement has no goal. It has no vision. So it withers from the inside out. And what's really weird is when you actually are not settled in what God's vision is for you, and you haven't talked that through with God, you start thinking really weirdly. You do. It distorts the way you think. You know, my challenge to you by the end of this conference is to have a spiritual bucket list, a faith list. Call it what you like. Get a dream. One you have decided between you and God. Nobody else's dream for your life. One that you cannot be swayed on. Or if others don't believe in you, you are not distracted from. Then change your whole life, your schedule, your job, your way of living. Everything in your life to achieve it. The reason we don't do this is because it scares the life out of us. You know, in preparing this sermon, I've had to do some real heart searching. What is it I really want to do before I die? If you can figure that out, everything else will fall into place. It's very simple for me. Five things. I want my kids to become Christians and die Christians and marry Christians. I want my wife and I, Carrie, to go to heaven. I want to become the most unifying and effective world sector leader that there has ever been. I want to write books that save souls after I die. Just finished my first one. And then I want to lead the charge to bring down the fall of communism in China in my lifetime by planting churches in Australia that will then platform towards China. Every day, I must ask myself if every minute of every day helps me achieve these five goals. Planning out every day of next year and asking myself, what I'm doing on that day, does it achieve these five goals? I need to learn Mandarin or Cantonese. That's the truth at my age. But we are talking about changing unbelievably. Need set times to call all the world sector leaders. I need to be their friend proactively. You know, I need to study the history of China. I need to choose Chinese disciples to raise up. See, when you set your faith goal, then the actions naturally follow. But so many of us go, well, yeah, I just want to be cool, but I want to do great things. What do you want to do? I put scriptures next to every single thing. But for me, because it's not just about... I've got to check whether God wants this. Yeah. Now, Malachi talks about 2.15, how God wants godly offspring. Yeah. So if God wants my kids to be Christians, and I want them, the only thing stopping my kids becoming Christians is me. Yeah. Is me. I want my wife to go to heaven. The goal of my faith is salvation of my soul. 1 Peter uh, 1.9. To become the most unifying, effective world sector leader is, and write books. 1 Timothy 2.3. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I'm like, I think that is the most effective thing I can do to save as many people as possible. That's what I've nailed it down to. 
That's what I've nailed it down to. You know, in Romans 15, 20, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be a building on someone else's foundation. I believe China is the most unevangelized population in the world. In the world. But I'm not talking about my bucket list. What's your bucket list? Is it to become the greatest Bible taught leader there's ever been? That is a noble goal. That is a noble goal. Our church has moved through Bible talks. You know, getting a dream. I remember when we were in the church here years ago, I remember a guy called Andy Broughton. All he ever did was talk about, we need to take a church to Edinburgh. We need to take a church to Edinburgh. We need to take a church to Edinburgh. Everybody was like, what, the, you're going to lead it? And that's all he, he talked about all the time. And what happened was people went, you know what? He wants it so much, man. We better whip him into shape so he can lead it. And his desire caused action. And as a result, the church went to Edinburgh. Totally is that. Because he decided what he wanted to do with his life. You know, be a song leader. Noble profession. Well, you can't sing. Most song leaders that came in the kingdom couldn't sing. That's the truth. What is on? Put it this way. Let me make it a little bit shorter. This time next year, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be? You need to actually understand that you can do pretty much anything you set your heart on. But the problem is, we just don't set our heart on things. We don't like goals because they expose so much sin in our life. So much sin. As a remnant guy, I've been a little bit hesitant to use goals. You know what? That's my problem. We went back to the church. We said, okay, everybody doubles. Everybody doubles their, church, their Bible talk in contribution and in growth. The young guys are like, yeah, we've got a goal. I'm like, oh, it's my problem. It's not their problem. But having a goal changes your mentality. When I lived in Switzerland, I wanted to learn to ski. But I didn't have enough money to, um, uh, to pay anybody. So I had this really great plan. I took enough money in my pocket to go up the mountain. With no money to come down. I had a goal to learn to ski. I had a plan according to my finances. Sounds like the kingdom. Amen. And then I just pointed myself down. It took me an hour and a half to come down a mountain that took me about 10 to 15 minutes later on in the season. It was bloody. It was bruisy. But that's how a dream happens. We're just scared about getting spiritually beaten up. There is nothing worthy of accomplishment that will not cost you everything in your life. It's really helped me understand. I think you know, things happen around you all the time you just don't really get. By setting the crown of thorns plans, guess what happens? We end up doing it. By saying we're going to evangelize the nations in our generation, guess what's going to happen? We're going to do it. We all get that concept 
until it comes down to us. I want to never be angry ever again. I can't put that on the list, no way. Just no way. It doesn't mean you're not going to be angry. It's that you're going to get yourself to a point where you will never be angry again. My challenge to you is simply this. Have a spiritual bucket list. Know what you're aiming at. Point number two, mountain-moving faith. Mountain-moving faith. Understand this. Jesus withered the fig tree. He then went into the temple. He then said to them, look, this place is meant to be a place where we pray for the nations. The religious people that day had lost the plot. They did not believe that prayer worked. Then when they came out of Jerusalem again, they go, whoa, look at the fig tree, it withered. And Matthew 21, 21, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Wow. The difference between faith that withers trees and faith that moves mountains is that one is what you do, and one is about what you say. When he's talking about faith that withers things, it's about direction and purpose. You figure something out, that's called faith, now go and do it. I'm with you, full stop. But when it comes to moving mountains, moving nations, it's all about praying. And the Jews had forgot that. You know, Jesus is saying, you can move mountains. Often people read the scripture, and like me, they go, all right, that's Wikipedia. Has anybody ever moved a mountain? <laughs> and we go, okay, uh, how many buckets would it take? From what I've un understood in researching, and I know Wikipedia is not that reliable, <laughs> but from what I can see, even with all our modern machinery, no one has ever moved a mountain. And then I start to thinking, how can you move a mountain? Well, there are two ways you can actually move a mountain. One is literally moving it, and the other one is climbing it. Because you see, once you climb a mountain, it's no longer a mountain. It is simply a platform from which you launch yourself to another mountain. So the real question is, how do you climb mountains? That's the real question. You know, we can learn from the ultimate mountain climber, Jesus. He put himself in the greatest valley of all. He became human. He left heaven, the total mountaintop. He became as weak as a human, and yet still had to find strength to haul his body mind and spirit up to the mountain where Jerusalem was on top and then onto the cross at Golgotha which was at the very top. He needed to find the courage to allow himself to be nailed to a cross so he could stand 
looking down on everybody, placing the world at his feet. So how do you become an expert mountain climber? Well, I think we need to learn from Jesus. The first thing you need to do is you need to go into training. You need to train your heart to become a mountain climber. Too many of us are frozen in anxiety. I was reading an article about an extreme mountain climber. And he used to struggle with anxiety and took these drugs to calm himself down and got addicted to them. And he found out that extreme mountain climbing releases the endorphins that calms your nerves. And so he got off the drugs. You see, anxiety comes from doing nothing. In Mark 1.35, it says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. There is a direct correlation between how big your faith is and how much you pray. Totally and utterly. My challenge to everybody always has been, pray an hour a day. Go mountain training for an hour a day. Start on little hills. Little hills of get a new job or little hills of just overcoming your anger or not being fruitful. Start with the little hills, the little mounds. Pray your way over them. But you've got to be training. You can't go on a mountain without being fit. You can't move nations unless you're spiritually fit. You know, so many people go, bro, how come things happen in your ministry? This, I just go pray. So how long do you pray for? About 10, 15 minutes, half an hour if I go, that's why. Elijah was a man just like us, but what was the difference he prayed? What is the difference between nearly every evangelist in England that fell away and me keeping faithful? Was I've always prayed an hour a day. It's very simple. It's pretty impossible to fall away when you're praying an hour a day. It is. It's just... I've never met anybody who said, I fell away. How much do you pray the day before? An hour, all the time. That's not how it works. The first thing that goes down is your prayer life, and then your heart goes down. Step two. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Step two is, you've got to pray to become what God wants you to, not what you want to be. You've got to pray to become what God wants you to be, not what you want to be. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus, so Mark 14, 32, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And we know they fell asleep. The difference between people that move their hearts to move mountains and people that don't are some pray and some sleep. That's the difference. And the whole nation of Israel had closed down the temple for praying. Faith and prayer, direct correlation. We know the story. He prays and he sweats blood and he's like, God, change me. 
here's the thing with the prayer list. You put on there, I want to do this. This is what I want to do. You know you can't do it. What we want is we want God to do it for us. God wants to us to change so he can use us. You've got to pray to become the person that is able to do it. You've got to memorize scriptures and pray your way through it. And then step three, you've got to pray when you climb. In Luke 23, 33, Jesus is on the cross. It goes, when they came to a place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. for They do not know what they are doing. Let me explain this from a practical point of view. Um, about four years ago, I was in L.A., and uh, special missions came up, and um, uh, I needed to raise a couple of grand, and uh, so I put in there Google um, things that uh, sponsored events to give you the most money. And it said, run a marathon, okay? Because most people go, poor you, I'll give you 150 bucks. Now, I never run more than four miles in my life. I'm not exactly your thin Kenyan, if you figured that out. Okay. Us palms aren't made that way. We were made for playing rugby. Amen. Okay, nothing against Kenyans. We love the Kenyans. Amen. Okay. I'm just saying I'm not a Kenyan. Okay. So you've got to have a goal first with a spiritual motive. See, just running it to lose weight or, or be thin, or that doesn't work. Doing it for a spiritual reason. You set the goal. You tell everybody you're going to do it. Okay, then you get somebody to give you a hundred bucks. Now you really need to do it. But how do you actually change? Well, I go, God, you know I can't do this. So the only way this is going to be achieved is if you help me do it. So I get advice, got trained by somebody, gave me some great advice. Start praying about it in my quiet times every day. Then you get up at five to load the running. Before you run, you go, God, please make my body work. Please make it work. I'm serious. And you, you know, you struggle and you walk and you do this, and then you literally start praying while you're doing it. God, you see that left leg? Please move it forward. And that's right leg, please move it forward. And then you start running and you get spiritually fit. But then you go through this, I want to quit, this is stupid, what whoever they do, yeah, okay, right, this is dumb, what am I gonna? And you're praying like crazy, God, change who I am. Not Please help me find a way to say I never should have done it in the first place. Now, here's the thing. I learned how to run, and it's 26 miles. It's the only uh, uh, marathon that's downhill all the way. I mean, you've got to have some advantages, amen? And um, I ran, walked, wobbled, scraped, begged, okay, all my way to the line. It wasn't pretty, but I did it. But here's where the change comes. In my mind, running a marathon is no longer a mountain. Then the next year I go, I really wish I could be the sort of guy that would run a whole marathon. So I set myself a challenge to run every step of a half marathon. Did the same process. But now, my body was still the same, because I hadn't run for six months or whatever, but my mindset had changed. It was no longer a marathon. So last year, I ran a half marathon in an hour and 50 minutes. So now, running half marathons are no longer mountains. And you see how if you climb one mountain, it no longer becomes a mountain. 
and then you go to another. And really, most mountains are just smaller mountains and bigger mountains and bigger mountains. And there are only very few really tall mountains in the world. And most of us are not called to climb those mountains. But you can move mountains in your own personal life if you learn how to climb mountains. Prayer is for giving you the power to do what God wants you to do. Prayer is for asking God to do, God, what you cannot do and only he can do. Prayer is not forgetting God to do what you do not want to do. And that's what most of us use it for. When I ask most people, what are their mountains in their lives? They come up with all sorts of things. My character, I can never change this. Uh, Getting married, getting out of debt, being fruitful, becoming effective. They just roll off our tongue. And we show them, like, I can never be this. I I can never deal with it. I can never have a good marriage. That's absolute hogwash. I can't. My mum said this. There's no such word as can't. It's I don't want to. It's I don't want to. Personally, this is my biggest struggle in my life. I've been a quitter all my life until I became a Christian. Always been a quitter. Always been a quitter. Now, because I came from a high education and everything like that, people thought, oh, you're not. But I just started from a higher place. But when the going goes south, that's what made me become a Christian. I looked at Jesus and I thought, he could have come off the cross any time, and he didn't. Every time I get to that point, I just come off the cross. I'm like, forget this, I'm out of here, baby. Ain't never having You've got to go into training, pray to become what God wants you to, and then use prayer as you climb. Most of us, let's be honest, do not want to go through the pain that it takes to become what we need to become. In studying this, one thing I've really got to own is that I'm the reluctant leader this time. This is my third time in the ministry. And um, I really had to pray to want to go in the ministry, pray to be discipled by Kip, not because of who Kip is, but because I knew as soon as I accepted that, the expectation would go up. And I prayed for eight hours solid, walking up down the street in LA called Magnolia, and I was calling Chris and uh, and just going, I don't want to do this, I know what it means. I know exactly what it means. I'm not ready for this pain. I do not, I was like, is there a way I can convince Kip not to decide? I know where this is going, I'm not stupid. And I'll be honest, I'm quite a needy, emotional person. And I like attention. I like D times every week. I like to be able to get hold of people when I want, when I'm upset. When you're disciple at this level, you don't get that. I didn't want to change. I didn't want to mature. And even in my heart, there's been a bit like, I'm still a reluctant leader. But what I've really got to grips with is this. It has really damaged the people that I disciple to be a reluctant leader. Because I'm giving them an excuse to be a reluctant leader too. And if there's one thing I've changed from studying this out, I've really got to grips with, 
First of all, I actually feel like I really get it now. I can write down anything that I really want to achieve. Anything. There is nothing that faith cannot destroy. And then the issue is, is I've just really actually got to pray like nuts for it. You know, you pray for your kids and one day and then not the next, or you pray about this one day and not the next. I'm just not focused. I'm just not focused. I need to change my character. You know, when it comes to moving mountains, nations, the only people who actually move nations are those who first learn to climb their own mountain of selfishness to destroy their own personal desires for their life and adopt God's desires for their life. They must be willing to crucify themselves, their own pride, their own sense of entitlement, their own emotional laziness for the glory of God. Jesus has set us the example of how to climb. I'm 27 years as a Christian. I'm telling you, I'm only getting this for the very first time. It's the first time I'm getting it. He set an example of how to use prayer to climb our own personal mountains, to achieve those faith goals that we were called to achieve. The world remains unconquered for God, not because we lack the power to do it. It remains unconquered for God because we fail to use prayer to conquer our own character and submit our will to his will. No faith that moves mountains. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Do you even know what you want in this life? If you don't, I can guarantee you won't get it. You need to decide exactly what you want. By the end of this conference, and I know it may take more time to pray it through, but get a spiritual bucket list, just five things that you go, this is it. I'm going to personally be the shepherd for Newcastle. I'm personally going to be the this. I'm, this, is, this is what I have decided. And then point two, you can move mountains if you will only learn to move your heart in prayer. Go into training. Pray an hour a day. Have four all-night prayers this year coming. Just do it. It'll change your life. It will change your life. And pray continually. You know, I'm going to leave you with a poem from one mountain climber to another to inspire you to climb until your dreams come true. It says, often your task will be many and more than you think you can do. The road will appear narrow and rugged and the mountains insurmountable too. But always remember, the peaks ahead are never as steep as they seem. And with faith in your heart, start upward and pray desperately till you reach your dream. For nothing in life that is worthy is never too hard to achieve if you but decide to have courage to try it and take Jesus' words and believe. For faith is a force that is greater than knowledge or power or skill. And prayer turns defeats into triumphs when we surrender our heart to God's will. For faith is a mover of mountains, and there's nothing God cannot do. 
So start out each day in an hour of prayer and climb to your dreams come true. Amen. We would like to thank you for listening to that episode of the podcast. If you would like video versions of these episodes, whether it's sermon highlights or interviews, feel free to check us out on our website or view them on our YouTube channel. That's londonchurch.org.uk. That's L-O-N-D-O-N-C-H-U-R-C-H dot org dot U-K. And for all other updates and information, whether it's services, events or devotionals, you can find all that on our website also. Once again, we'd like to thank you for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.